0: All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that to those of us who previously had not received mercy, you have shown your mercy to us. Thank you that in the church you have laid your son, Jesus, as our chief cornerstone Uh, You have built your people on him, the foundation, Uh, and so we know that we cannot fail uh, as long as you build us up in him, and so that is what we pray, that tonight uh, you would build us up in Christ your Son, through your word, uh, that we might uh, do as Peter wrote, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We ask you to do this for us because we can't do it for ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You should have uh, a Bible. I would ask and invite you to uh, turn in it with me to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to start tonight in chapter 28. So, Isaiah 28. Uh, If you have a Bible, From the room here, you can find Isaiah 28 on page 499. So that might help as you're looking for it. Our world has always had a way of making sin look normal and making righteousness look very strange. Uh, that's the tendency of the world. Now, on the other hand, uh, the Bible does the opposite. The Bible exposes good and evil for what they really are and for what they always have been. Good and evil don't change. They might look differently from generation to generation. So, so our generation uh, has different what we would call probably uh, manifestations of evil than other generations have had. But they're still evil. Uh, Aaron and I and some other friends have been reading, uh, or are reading currently, through uh, the Lord of the Rings books. There's a scene early in the Two Towers that kind of illustrates this thought. So you've got um, you've got Aragorn the king, and you've got Legolas the elf, and you have Gimli the dwarf, and they're and they're going through uh, through the land of Rohan, and they come upon Eomer, and Eomer is one of the uh, the horse lords. They call him. And Eomer recognizes that his land is being overtaken, uh, slowly but surely, by evil and, and by forces of Sauron. And uh, to the point that um, there, have, there have been good people passed through his land, but he doesn't even know how to tell the difference anymore between those who are evil and those who are good. And so he makes this statement to Aragorn he says it is hard to be sure of anything anymore among so many marvels the world is all grown strange elf and dwarf in company walk in our daily fields and folks speak of the lady in the wood and yet live and the sword comes back to war that was broken in long ages ere the fathers of our fathers rode into the mark how shall a man judge to do what to do in such times okay so he's saying Man, our world is is changing. It is strange. There are some weird things going on. How do we know what to do in these weird times? And so as as a Christian, you might find yourself asking, Man, the world is getting pretty weird. How do we know what to do? How do we judge what to do in such times? And Aragorn's answer, he says, Well, he should judge as he ever has. Because good and ill have not changed since yesteryear, nor are they one thing among elves and dwarves and another thing among men. It is a man's part to discern them as much in the golden wood as in his own house. It's pretty straightforward. Good has always been good, and evil has always been evil. And you've got to determine good and evil in your own house, and you've got to determine determine good and evil and distinguish it uh, when you're out and about fighting against the enemy. Now, if the Bible is true, and we believe that it is, then good always will be good, and evil always will be evil. And how do we know what is good? Who do we look to to know what is good? We look to God Himself and His Son, Jesus Christ. And God is so good that He will not allow evil to go unpunished. So we know what is good by knowing God. And, And the Bible is consistent in this message, even though the world changes, because the Bible is truer than the world. And the Bible tells us that judgment on evil is coming. And there's only one way to take shelter from it, and that is in Jesus the King. So, so we're in Isaiah. We have been now for some weeks. And Isaiah has shown us uh, very, very clearly what the Lord is like. He has shown us the glory of God. And He has shown us what His people are like. God is a God who has made uh, a covenant with His people. He has made a way for His people to have a relationship with Him. Now what have God's people done with God's covenants? Broken They've broken them. That's exactly right. His people has broken, have broken His covenants... And so the Lord, because He has authority over all the earth, He will judge those who have broken His covenants. And there's only one hope for those people. Because the Lord doesn't only offer judgment, He also offers what? Redemption, Redemption, salvation. Yeah, a way to be spared from His judgments. And, And even those who know the Lord are tempted to find refuge from judgment in things other than God. You and I look to worldly things all the time for our security and for our hope. And thankfully, again tonight, Isaiah will make very clear for us how much more trustworthy the Lord is than the things of this world. So there's five statements. I want to give them to you hopefully quickly. Five statements we'll look at tonight that are based on Isaiah 28 through about 35. Here are those five statements. Number one, how does Isaiah make the trustworthiness of the Lord number one, he tells us that the Lord will visit his people. the Lord will visit his people. So you have the Lord speaking as He does um, to to Jerusalem and to Ephraim. so to two cities. now Ephraim was the capital in the in the northern kingdom and Jerusalem was the capital in the southern kingdom. Uh, remember in previous chapters uh, God had spoken to a whole bunch of different nations? Well, now he's turned his attention back to his people. And so he says of, of Ephraim uh, that they were proud. So, so chapter 28 and verse 1. And, and by the way, it's going to be most helpful tonight, as it normally is, uh, if you just kind of put your eyes on the Bible. And I'm going to read uh, a good portion of this. Obviously not all seven or eight chapters. Um, but you'll follow along best if, if you'll just put your eyes in these verses as, as we point them out. So t- chapter 28 and verse 1. The Lord says, Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. So Ephraim, the, the, the northern capital, is apparently known for its, for its pride mainly and the way it has sought to satisfy itself with wine and make itself great. Okay, so so Ephraim is proud, but the Lord, compared to that in verse 2, is what? Behold, the Lord has one who is what? Mighty. Yeah, mighty and strong. So Ephraim is proud, but the Lord himself is, and he has one, that's an interesting thought, who is mighty and strong. He is... Uh, A crown of glory to his remnant. Uh, Look look down at verse 5. In that day, in the day when the Lord deals with the pride of Ephraim, in that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. So the Lord is mighty. He is strong. He is glorious. He has something to teach his people about himself and about their condition. He's going to visit them and give them his message. Now look at verse 9. He has this, these things to teach them, but, verse 9, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? And the questions uh, continue throughout the rest of that verse. It's interesting that no answer is actually given. So the Lord has things to teach. Who's he going to teach them to? There's there's no answer given. Here's what the Lord wants to teach, though, and here's how He wants to teach. Look at verse 10. For it is, this is how the Lord wants to teach, precept upon precept, precept on precept, line on line, line on line, here a little, there a little. Uh, verse 13 says it almost exactly the same way. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept on precept, precept on precept, line on line, line on line, here a little, there a little. Now, This is interesting that this would show up in in the Old Testament um, because it tells us how the Lord normally teaches His Word to people. So based on what Isaiah says there, how does the Lord normally teach His Word to people? A little by little, line on line, here a little, there a little, precept on precept. Now this, I hope, answers a question for you. Um, Why do we, when we come in here on a mostly weekly basis, uh, pay so much attention to the actual words of the Bible, and we read large chunks of it. Well, here's the reason. Because the way the Lord normally teaches His people, the way the Lord normally gives knowledge to His people, are through the lines and words and precepts given in the Bible. So if we really want to pay attention to who the Lord is and what He's like, shouldn't we line after line read Scripture? And pay attention to to his word. That's the way the Lord normally goes about this. And so he he tells his people, verse 14, that they should do what with the word of the Lord? Verse 14, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. So listen to it. Isaiah says the Lord's going to give it to you line on line. So listen to it, hear it. And here's what that word says, verse 15. You have said that we have made a covenant with death. We've made an agreement with Sheol. Okay, now this is interesting. Who's the one in the Bible who normally makes covenants? God is, right? And He makes covenants with His people. Well, His people have not reciprocated that covenant. In other words, they haven't gone along with it. Instead, His people apparently have made a covenant with death. There in verse 15. So, because they have done this, look at verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. The Lord says, You're making a covenant with death, but it will be annulled. Verse 18, Then your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with Sheol will not stand so the Lord teaches people his words through his words he makes covenants with them his people break the covenants they want to go along with death anyway so the Lord says to relieve you from death I will build a more sure cornerstone and according to what Vitzel read from first Peter who is that cornerstone it is Jesus himself so that's the Lord's message for Ephraim the Lord speaks very specifically to Jerusalem then in chapter 29 Look at, verse, uh, look at chapter Isaiah 29.5. The Lord tells Jerusalem that the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise and whirlwind and tempest and flame of a devouring fire. Okay? So verse 5, the Lord is talking about uh, Jerusalem's enemies. He says, The multitude of your foreign foes, so your, your enemies from other nations, will be like dust. What do you think he means when he says you will be like, they will be like dust? Um, so sometimes uh, we might think that that would mean that they would be destroyed, but in this case it actually seems like this enemy is coming, right? Right? This enemy is coming, they will be like dust because dust is, there's a lot of it, right? You get a handful and you can't count the particles of dust. It's just dust and it and it overwhelms you, okay? So your enemies, Jerusalem, and namely Assyria, who would actually come and oppose them, your enemies will overwhelm you like a dust storm and it will be like thunder and earthquake. And the Lord tells them, his word tells them why this is, the case, Um, look down at verse verse 13. The Lord says why this is going to happen. He says, "...because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their heart is far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people." With wonder upon wonder and, with wis- and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Okay, now think about this. The Lord says, your enemy is going to be numerous and you only honor me with your lips. You don't actually live it out. And yet, does the Lord say, I'm going to wipe you out? No, he says, I'm going to do wonderful things uh, with this people. Now, I think think probably in a couple ways. Wonderful that they're going to be in awe that the Lord would punish those who oppose Him. But also wonderful in the sense that He'll redeem some, won't He? The Lord will visit His people. He visits His people because He has all authority over them. He visits them through their enemies. Israel would be attacked by the by the Assyrians. Now, um, if you lived in a part of the world where an enemy was attacking, what would you probably try to do? Either fight back or take shelter. You would have to do one or the other. You would have to either fight back or you would have to take shelter. Now, number two in our notes, some. Because the Lord will visit his people through their enemies, some will seek refuge in earthly powers. Some will seek refuge in earthly powers. So go to chapter 30 and verse 1. And the Lord says to his children Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine. They make an alliance not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set to go down to where? Verse 2, to Egypt, yeah. So, Israel is apparently running from Assyria, and they're going to take refuge in Egypt, among the Egyptians. Now, how is that kind of ironic? What had God done for his people from Egypt previously? He'd rescued them from there. He had shown his wonder, his power, his might, by delivering his people from Egypt. And yet... When the Lord visits them through their enemies, some of them want to go back to Egypt. They think Egypt will protect us. So look at look at the end of verse two. There, this is Isaiah thirty and verse two. They set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Now, how do you think this is going to work out for them? Not very good. Uh, In fact, the Lord says very plainly there in verse 3, Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt shall be to your humiliation. And he's even more clear down in verse 7. What does he say about Egypt's help in verse 7? It is Worthless. worthless and empty. So some will want to go to Egypt for shelter, But it is worthless and empty. But because these people are rebellious, look at verse 9. They are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. They're not interested in what the Lord has said. In fact, verse 10, They say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Now, now imagine this, I don't know if you would actually say this, but I know a lot of us do this with our, with our actions. They are basically saying to, to God, um, we're not interested in what you have to say. They're saying to the prophets of God, don't tell us what the Lord says. Tell us how easy things will be for us. Prophesy illusions. Basically, they're saying, we don't care if it's true or not, just tell us good news. Don't tell us any more about the Holy One of Israel. And the Lord says in verse 12, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach on a high wall, bulging out, about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant. Now, again, the Lord has the opportunity here just to wipe away His people completely, doesn't He? And yet, that's not what we see Him doing. Look at verse 15. Thus says the Lord the God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength, but you were unwilling. So, so the Lord's saying, you have an opportunity to return, to find rest in me, but you're not willing. Instead, you're fleeing on horses. You're, a thousand of you are fleeing at the threat of one, verse 17 says. And there, and yet, verse 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. The Lord is a God of justice, and yet blessed are all those who wait for him. Now, it's interesting. We see the Lord uh, continually promising to be gracious to his people, but it's interesting how the Lord says, I will be gracious. Okay? Pay close attention to this. Look at verse 19. Uh, Isaiah says, A people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. And as soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. Okay, so the Lord is going to be gracious to his people by being what for them? Being a, a teacher. Now what do you suppose the Lord is going to teach to His people? What does the Lord always teach to His people? His Word, right? Look at verse 21. Isaiah says uh, to the people, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or to the left so a lot of times moses in the law would say don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left instead obey god's law and mo and and isaiah here is is picking up that language and saying exactly the same thing the way the lord is most gracious to his people even in the old testament and also for us now is by teaching them his word it's it's through the bible it's by telling us Walk this way. Don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So they, some will seek shelter in, in Egypt. In fact, verse thir- or sorry, chapter 31 um, emphasizes this same thing. Woe to those... Uh, so Isaiah 39, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. They rely on horses. They trust in chariots because they are many. And in horsemen... Because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Verse 3, the Egyptians are man; they are not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. And when the Lord stretches out His hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall. They will all perish together. So how much help is Egypt going to be when Assyria comes to punish the people? None whatsoever. Alright, so some, number two, some will seek shelter by looking to earthly things. For Israel here, they were looking to Egypt. You and I might want to trust in other people, other rulers, other comforts. Here's number three. Some will find shelter in the king of righteousness. So you can seek shelter in earthly powers or you can actually find, find shelter in the king of righteousness. Look at chapter 32 and verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Princes will rule in justice, and each will be like a hiding place from the wind and a shelter from the storm. A king will come, and in him you can find true shelter, not the false stuff that Egypt's king offers. So a king will come. Look down at verse 14. And what does verse 14 tell us about the palace? It is what? Forsaken. Forsaken. All right, if the palace is forsaken, then there is no king, which is why the Lord is emphasizing here that a king is coming and he will reign in righteousness. And verse 14, let's let's read the full statement there, verse 14. The palace is forsaken, verse 15, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. And then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. This is interesting. The the palace is empty until the Spirit comes, and the Spirit was on the King who came. Right? Uh, When Jesus comes, aren't we told that the Holy Spirit descended on Him? So the Holy Spirit came through Jesus... When the king of righteousness came, the spirit was on him, and that same spirit is poured out on us from on high. But even God's enemies who come to judge his people won't last. Look at chapter 33. Who does the Lord speak to in in chapter 33 and verse 1? He says, Ah, you destroyer. Okay, so here he's it seems he's actually talking to Assyria, you have come to destroy, and yet you keep reading in that verse, he says when you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. So the destroyer will be destroyed. And so and so then the people pray to the Lord, verse 2, O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Verse 5 tells us that the Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. Verse 10 the Lord says of himself, now I will arise, now I will lift myself up, now I will be exalted. Okay, now, again, this, this, is, this is how even in the Old Testament uh, we get glimpses of, of what Christianity is all about. Okay, so, so verse 10 says the Lord is exalted, and yet verse 14 says the sinners in Zion are afraid and trembling has seized the godless. Okay, why would people in Zion be afraid when they see the Lord exalted? Alright, the Lord is exalted, why does that make sinners afraid? That's right, because they know they can't dwell with Him, because He is holy and they are not. And so look at the end of verse 14, the question is asked, Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? That's how God described Himself in verse 11 and 12. And who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? This is like Isaiah answering the question Who among us can dwell with the Lord who is exalted? Okay, who among us can dwell with the Lord who is exalted? Here's the answer, verse 15. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gains of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops ears from hearing of bloodshed, shuts his eyes from looking on evil. Okay. These are the kinds of people who see the Lord. People who, have, who always walk righteously, always speak uprightly. They, they don't oppress people. They don't bribe people. They don't shed blood. They don't look on evil. What's the problem with that? Who among us lives that way? None of us. Okay. Who can dwell with the Lord? Isaiah is basically saying none of us can. Who among us can dwell with consuming fire? Only those who are completely righteous all the time and they never look on evil. That's the standard. None of us can reach up to the standard. And yet, verse 17 tells them that some of them, to some of them, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Okay, So apparently, some do get to dwell among the exalted Lord, right? And how does that happen? It only happens one way. Because Isaiah is talking about the one who would come from the Lord, Jesus himself, who would live this way, who would live completely righteously, who wouldn't shed blood, who wouldn't look on evil, who would always obey the Lord. Only Jesus did that, which means only those in Jesus can dwell with God can see the exalted Lord, can see the King in His beauty. So if, if you and I do not completely put our trust in Jesus, we cannot see the Lord. That's the message, that's the gospel that Isaiah is preaching, and it's the gospel that we preach today. We will see the King in His beauty when we, when we have the righteousness of Jesus, when, when He is the one who, uh, who takes away our sins. Last two points quickly. I know we've, we've gone kind of long here. Some will find shelter in the king of righteousness. Number four, the Lord will display his fury against the nations. Some will seek shelter in Egypt. And toward those people, the Lord will remain furious. He will be as, uh, look, at, look at Isaiah 34, 1, or verse 2, rather. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Look at verse 8. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Verse 10. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever. And ever. So, when the Lord judges those, when the Lord punishes those who seek shelter in earthly powers other than Him, how long does that judgment last? Forever, Isaiah says there is no end to it. So, there is real eternal punishment for all who find shelter in earthly powers and not in the Lord. And yet, for those who who find refuge. In the king of righteousness, number five, the Lord will save his people and he will overthrow the curse. Chapter 35, verse one, the wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. It shall blossom abundantly with, uh, and rejoice with joy and singing. The end of verse two, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God Look at verse 8. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Guys, if this is true, if the Bible is true, if what Isaiah is saying is true, then it informs not just what is going on in Isaiah's day, it informs ours as well. So we fight against evil. We fight to not be deceived by it. We cling to the one who is right. We cling to the king of righteousness, the one who makes us right. And to do that, it doesn't mean that you follow Jesus along with a lot of other things. Okay? Uh, it means that we, that it means that Jesus is exclusive. He's not one way among many. He is the way. He, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. So we're here to, to represent Him to others. We're here to make Him known where He's not yet known. That's our purpose. We want that to be the purpose of your individual life as well. Our small groups are a great way to talk about how that can be true for you. We're going to break up here in a minute and talk uh, about, that, about what that looks like for each of us. So would you pray with me? Father, help us to not seek shelter in the things of this world. Help us to not find our hope uh, in in the kings of Egypt, as it were. Uh, let, us, let us instead turn ourselves uh, to you, to find our, our shelter in you, to look to the king who is righteous. Lord, we cannot on our own dwell with the Lord who is exalted. We have not done righteously. We have not listened to your word. We have not obeyed it. Uh, we need the righteousness of Jesus who who was obedient in our place. Let us rely completely on him. Let us turn uh, from our rebellion and submit to you. Lord, what that looks like in our in our own individual lives, I pray you'll make very clear to us. Help us um, um, edify one another towards that. Now, as we break into groups, uh, Lord, continue to build us up. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.